It's our favourite pet chat people. Welcome, Cheryl Shaw, Dr. Paul McCarthy. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. You look very Easterish today, Cheryl. You've got a gorgeous necklace on. Are they Easter eggs on the necklace? They look like little Easter eggs. Yes, do and a little bunny brooch. A bunny brooch, all Eastery now. So we may chat about. Easter. You've had a lot of cases. I'm, oh, pointing, yes. I'm pointing at yes, you. Yes, yes. 11, 11 cases of dogs brought in this week vomiting for chocolate ingestion. 11? Is that a record? Wow. I think so. Oh, I think my so. Lord. Four in the one day. Ruth from Murray's Beach. How can Dr. Paul McCarthy help you today? Hi, Sarah. I've got a seven and a half year old female cavalier. And about a year or two ago, um, she got a UTI. I didn't pick up on the signs quickly enough, and she ended up with a bladder stone, a quite a large bladder stone that had to be re- surgically removed. So I t- I've taken her to the vet recently. The UTI has come back a little bit. It's not very bad, but the vet is suggesting um, that he, we, he surgically removes the flap of skin between her anus and her vulva, I think it is, he says that that's, the bacteria are catching in there and that's, you know, major main part of the problem. And I'm really reluctant to do that. It sounds horrible and I just want another opinion about that. Yeah, sure, Ruth. So um, a difficult question for you, though. Do you know the type of stone that was removed? It was a struvite. Struvite, It was just a, okay. the standard garden yeah. variety. So, so struvite stones are created from a combination of reasons. You certainly hit on one of the reasons, which is infections. But um, did they place you on a, a diet after the initial bladder stone? They, well, I got the report back from the US. That's where the test has to be done. Yep. And if I'd gone with the vet suggestion, it was a bit contradictory, I must say. Um, but they were suggesting this really expensive dry food for the rest of her life. Yeah. And I thought that was a bit strange, considering that Part of the problem is that she's not getting enough fluid. The the urine is too concentrated. No, no, no. So I, I think that may be some confusion there for you. So so struvite mm-hmm. is a stone formed predominantly of sodium and chloride, so salt, mm-hmm. um, and it forms in the in the combination of the uh, the right environment in the bladder. And so what the diet is endeavouring to do is to make the diet. The, the bladder environment more acidic and therefore reduce the ability for the, the crystals to then form into a stone and mm-hmm. also make it less likely that the environment is easy for bacteria to inhabit. Um, so, so you're 100% correct. So struvite is, can, can be managed by diet. Um, and, and I'll be honest, most cases of struvite, if managed well, will not return if the diet is, is maintained. Um, generally, recurrence is always going to happen if we don't deal with the initial environment. So a way of avoiding the surgery would be to actually look at using a diet that will acidify the urine and reduce the capacity for the crystals to form, which is the predisposition for those stones to then form. Otherwise, I think even with the surgery, I'm not sure that'll prevent the risk of infection Mm. starting. Mm. So the pH when I went last time was neutral. Yeah, so it means it's too alkaline. So you, you want the pH to be more like five or six in the bladder. Um, to enable the environment that, to stop the crystals from forming. So I keep getting mixed stories here. I, I thought I had to have it more alkaline. It depends on the stones <sighs> you're preventing. So different okay. stones form in different pHs. 
So for struvite, you want to have an acidic urine. For calcium oxalate, you want to have a pH we're seeing around the sort of between six or seven and eight. So different stones at different times. Yeah, so UTI creates inflammation, and and the byproducts of inflammation make it easier for the crystals to form. Right, so my first thing is to stop the UTIs happening. Correct, which is why you'd be... Well, actually, no, well, there's there's two cofactors to try and treat here, and I Mm. think your your ability to manage the pH would be far easier than your ability to manage the infections. Mm -hmm. So I think I would look at using dietary management to manage the environment of the bladder, Mm-hmm. Um, rather than necessarily trying to prevent the UTIs, in that there can be lots of reasons for bladder to, to a bladder to become infected, and I think what they're suggesting is you have what's called a vulvoplasty, which is where you sort of open up the vulval folds area and try and allow more air in around those folds to prevent ascending infections from the local skin. But you can also get them from females who squat very close to the ground. You can get them from humid weather on even open skin. So I think as far as prevention, I think the surgery would certainly be part of that. But I would, I would think your easier option may be to look at dietary management first. Okay, good luck with that. Let's go to Ros now in Shoal Bay. It says you've got a Jack Daniel. I'm assuming a Jack Russell, <laughs> <laughs> who is five years old. What's your question today? A duck. Jack Daniels would go very well at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got my Jack Russell. She's five uh, five years old, and she's had this uh, skin irritation, itchy thing on and off since. Both, oh, I can't remember how long, but at the moment, it appears to be getting worse. To, to, to the hindquarters are. Uh, I've looked on a similar picture on online, and it looks what they post as a yeast infection. Mm-hmm. Um, I've cut out everything that I can with feeding it with um, wheat and I'm basically only giving a chicken and meat and mm-hmm. um, occasionally fish, um, sardines occasionally. She usually only gets fed once a day. Um, she's an inside dog and she all of a sudden won't go outside. Um, I had a terrible time with her with trying to get her to go outside of the toilet. I'm fairly limited mobility-wise, so I can't sort of stand there and put her in out every five minutes. What you're supposed to do, she was trained, and then my daughter came up with her dog for a while, and they got on extremely well. They played like pyromaniacs. But since the other dog went home, she's very anti-going outside. Sure. Um, so so I think there's a couple of things happening here for you, Roz. Mm-hmm. Um Certainly, it would be very likely that your Jack Russell has an underlying allergic skin disease, and I think mm, that's, that's yep. probably a given. Yep. Um, now, there are lots of ways to manage that, and mm. you're correct in saying that, that it's getting worse in that, sadly, most dogs grow into an allergy rather than out of an allergy. Mm-hmm. So each right. time they get repeated exposure to the allergen, the response from the immune system increases. Mm-hmm. Now, um, yeast infections are generally not caught they're, so we have a yeast on our skin called malassezia. Mm-hmm. Now, if the environment is right, that local um, yeast that live in our skin overgrows, and so you get uh, huge numbers of these malassezia, which then pro- progress to become um, an irritation for the dog. Mm-hmm. So um, ye- people often get confused with yeast and wheat, um, mm-hmm. and that they believe taking the wheat out of a diet removes the risk of yeast. But mm-hmm. it's not that they're ingesting the yeast. This is a yeast that's living on the skin. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so looking at dietary manipulation is a very good first start for allergies, though. But if you've gone down that pathway and it does sound like you've been very vigorous mm. in looking for ways to remove an, a food allergy component, then it possibly means, sadly, the environment is the cause, not what's being eaten. Yeah, well, that's, that's um, I've, I've tried to... Um I took it to a vet, um, I've taken it to, to the vets a couple of times and the last time I, I took her has turned me off going to completely. The lady was quite rude. Um, she said uh, she, was, she said she, sh- she should have uh, um, the, uh, not the hormone treatment, um, what they have for asthma. And she didn't want to give her that because she put on weight and then she gave it to her anyway. And um, so I was really disillusioned and I don't want to go back. I've, yeah, I've tried with cream. I've got, um, uh, I got some offline, some belly cream or other. But the trouble with her is if I pick anything up, she's off. Of course. And I can't, you know, I can't catch. Yeah, and look, I certainly think in this circumstance, I think a systemic management of a disease is going to be your best option, particularly if your mobility is challenging as far as getting regular baths and those sorts of things. So um, I certainly have a chat to another vet maybe. Um, there are lots of new medications that are available for use in dogs. There's a yearly, uh, sorry, a monthly injection called Cytopoint, which has had a really great success this season in managing allergic skin disease, as well as other medications. I think the one you were talking about is called prednisolone, which is a, a hormone like medication, um, very commonly used for allergic skin disease. And it does have side effects such as increased weight gain and increased appetite, um, but certainly still will work very well for allergies. So um, given at low doses, it's, it's a successful treatment. But I would think in this circumstance, because it will be coming very frustrating for the dog, um, you'll probably need some medication to treat the yeast as well, not just the allergy. Okay, good luck with that, Roz. Now, Sue, in Merriweather, our condolences. Uh, you've lost your husband who's recently passed away and your 15-year-old dog is really fretting for him. Absolutely, yes. Thank you, Sarah, for taking my call. Uh, yes, um, he's fretting constantly and I don't know what to do. Some people have suggested that I would try CBD oil that you can get from America, but um, I'm hoping you can help me in this situation. Sure. What breed of dog is your dog, Sue? He's, uh, as I said, as was mentioned, he's a 15-year-old Staffy. Staffy, okay. So we, we just had yes. the age here. So, so Staffies, yes. by their nature, are a generally anxious breed. So right. we, we've already got a predisposition here that any changes in that dog's general um, day-to-day running will create an anxiety. Now, in the situation where we've got a 15-year-old dog, that situation has been very constant for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And so there will be a reliance on the animals in that dog's environment to meet all the needs for safety. So as dogs get older, as as we get older, our our sight, our hearing, our sense of smell, um, all these factors start to become less able to detect danger. Now, in a 15-year-old dog, it is very likely that there is already some changes that have been occurring over the last maybe four to five years. Now, they'll have been subtle signs, but what they'll have been doing is the dog requires more of the environment to provide that safety for them. So there will be an increased clinginess in those circumstances because of that lack of being able to defend myself as well because I don't have as good a a, a sight or as good hearing. Now, when you then have one of the army go... So I've previously had three in my army. I've I've now only got two. There's just myself and my owner. Um, That increases the need for protection, for safety. Mm 
And so what your dog's actually doing is this fretting behavior is, I'm just not feeling safe. I, right. I, don't, I don't feel safe in my environment. Things have changed. Um, this is an, often a, a more common scenario where a male member of the family has passed in that often they are seen as the larger soldier in those circumstances. And so the, the, there's a couple of things that we can do to help these guys. Firstly, there's the tincture of time. So yep. as the schedule and as the daily routine returns to a fairly normal process, then yep. the dog will realise that that danger that they're currently feeling will be reduced. The second thing, Sue, is that your body language will also change. You've gone through a very difficult time, and as such, your body language will be giving indicators that you're also not feeling quite yourself. And mm-hmm. your, your dog is seeing that as a, as a language every day. Yep. And so often there's that need to... Um, Put a step up a lip for those sorts of dogs around you so that when you're around the dog, um, a, a very difficult thing for you to do, feel, feel strong, feel brave. Um, get that smile on your face, drop your shoulders, look as relaxed as you can. So the indicators you're giving to your dog is that we're safe, I feel relaxed, there's no issues here with having one of our members not present. Okay. And then we can look at medication. So you already mentioned CBD oil, and I've had very good feedback from many clients that have mentioned that that can help with generalised anxiety conditions and separation anxiety or grieving has been one of those ones that have been shown improvements from. Right. You could also talk to your vet about using some other medications such as the antidepressant family in that there's other medications that will have a far stronger benefit to the um, brain in producing more serotonin. And serotonin is the neurotransmitter that makes us all feel calm. And oh, often yeah. having a chat to your vet about using some medication can be a big thing. But don't... don't um, rush these things dogs often as people will go through a grieving process um and often they just need some time to adjust the best of luck with that sue and we we are thinking of you our thoughts are with you ron you're in singleton now you've got a 12 year old maltese who is constantly licking its paws yes mate yeah they're going all stained and that sort of thing Must... i just wanted to know if there's, there's uh, something natural that i can put on like a bit of wasabi or tabasco or something i don't know <laughs> Okay, so so step one, Ron, is let's not go over Tabasco wasabi line. Okay, that, okay. Um, <laughs> it'll make your dog foam and be very unhappy on the tongue oh, for okay. quite some time. Um, no worries. You've got a Maltese Terrier that is likely to have contact allergies. So it'll have been coming over time. The staining of the pores is, again, the yeast that we mentioned earlier in the program, Malassezia, and it's growing on the, the, the hair of the pores because it's, it's moist and the area is warm and humid. Yep. So step one is to break the allergy. Now, looking for, for um, you mentioned natural things, um, step one would be, and Cheryl probably sees this every day at her workplace, you could use a low allergenic shampoo. Um, Maltese terriers by their breed type are allergenic dogs. And so if you can try and use a, a low allergenic shampoo on an even daily or at least twice weekly basis, you'll find okay. that removing the allergen off the coat as frequently as you can will help. When you've been out for a walk or when you've been on wet grass, come back home, wipe those pores. Try and get any of the allergen off the skin. Um, If you you wash your dog, dry it as quickly as possible. Don't let them drip dry. And there is some reports that even keeping the hair uh, around the pores clipped short can be a way of airing those feet so the humidity is reduced. So having a chat to a a fantastic groomer like Cheryl to get those (laughs) those feet nice and tidied up, that'll often help aerate the feet. And that's a natural way of getting the humidity humidity out 
and improving the actual airflow around those feet. You, you can use an e-collar. So rather than trying to make the feet taste bad, you can physically not provide them access to the feet by using an Elizabethan collar. Um, you can get those uh, inflatable ones or the, 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 the typical cone ones. Um, and it just often, if you break the cycle for a time period by having no access to the foot, it can often just let them that those feet then calm down, they're less inflamed and you can move forward. We are luckily moving into our less allergenic time period of the year. So winter, lots of allergens do become less in their, less frequent. And so you may find even that the season may help with those feet. But being yeah. a Maltese Terrier, you may be unlucky that this allergy will persist all year round. Um, and then certainly talking to your veterinarian, there are lots of really great new medications that have come out for management of skin disease in dogs and it's providing a lot of dogs a lot of relief. It's actually a bit funny because I've got two and their sisters and the other dog doesn't, doesn't give a damn about a pause. Yeah, and them it's at just, all. just those genetics. You can either inherit them or you don't. Mm, my yeah. Maltese is the same. They look. Yes, yours is the same. Okay, look, thank you, Ron. Good luck. Now, Meldy, who's just started here with us. Welcome, Meldy. We love having you answer our phones and be here. She's got a question for you, Paul. She has a 13-year-old cat uh, and it's constantly rubbing the side of her head against things to the point of being obsessive. And <laughs> Meldy was wondering, uh, you know, if this is a problem and what she should do to make this stop. Yeah, sure. So I guess the first thing we need to find out, Melody, is why. So if this has been a situation that's been happening for a long time, it is probable that your 13-year-old cat is trying to let everybody else in the house know, I live here. So cats use um, rubbing of the glands on the side of their head um, and their neck, and they actually use that to mark their territory. Hence, you'll often find when a cat greets you at the front door, it rubs its head and its legs, uh, its, its neck against your body. It's just letting you know that you belong to it. Um, and so it could be in this circumstance that this is a marking behaviour. And as such, it isn't um, an issue. They, they just need to keep reassuring themselves that they're safe and that everything's still where it should be and that the territory belongs to them. So they won't physically hurt themselves, Paul, if Generally, they're doing Generally, no, this. no. So marking behaviour shouldn't cause any abrasions. Okay. Um, in that really what it's about is about the scent. They're right. literally just brushing themselves just saying, against hey, things here. to say, I'm here. Sometimes you can get an increase in that behaviour if there are changes in the environment. So oh. if you suddenly have, for example, uh, a new cat next door, um, if you have a new person move into your home, um, if you renovate um, where the scent that they'd previously marked before is no longer there. Yes. Um, even very simple things. So people who change their room deodorizers, yeah. that can cause a cat to increase its scent marking behavior. Really? Um, if you change your own perfumes or deodorants. It wow. can make a cat need to mark his behaviour more. We're dealing with a very scent-based creature. Will this behaviour last, you know, just for a certain period then if it's it's been brought on with a change? Or? Once, if it's brought on by change, once they've reassured themselves that everyone knows this space is theirs and they've had no other changes occurring, then yes, the behaviour okay. will decrease. There will always be, cats will always mark their territory. Um, so every cat in every household will at some stage do some rubbing on something. Um, and that's a very normal part of their behaviour. The thing to check in this case, though, if it's new or if it's becoming to the stage where we're seeing abrasions, then there may be an underlying painful or itchy condition. So the particular one for older cats is dental disease. So cats who have sore teeth will often rub their lips and their face against objects because they're trying to soothe the irritation from dental disease. Um, so certainly having the, the mouth checked to see if there's any bad teeth in there in a 13-year-old cat is quite possible. Um, the second thing also is, as we've already spoken about allergies today, is that allergies can cause a cat 
that to rub their face as well. The face is often a very uh, common area for allergens to, to manifest in that there's increased moisture from the saliva and there's also more heat radiated from the head. So you'll often get itchy heads more commonly and ears. And it may be that the, the head or on the side, maybe I'm trying to get to the ears. And so underlying ear disease related to allergies can also cause head rubbing. So there's two ways to look at this. It could be behavioural or it could be um, pathological. Let's do our dog of the week now. This is a big girl. Well, she's young, but she's a big girl. Honey. Now, you can go check out Honey at 2NURFM.com.au and click on Pet Chat. Ah, she's got a beautiful face. She's a two-year-old Great Dane Cross. She is a sweet, gorgeous goofball of a lady, and she is looking for her forever home, or as I like to say, forever home. Oh, (laughs) no pun intended. Super cool like that. Um, She's looking for an active family with older kids uh, to help her expel some serious big puppy energy. She's not uh, dog social at this time, but some positive reinforcement training will help her. She gets very excited on walks. Uh, so coupled with her size, it makes it very her very strong. So um, there's, I mean, she can be a great dog, Paul, but obviously, as it says here, you need somebody committed and someone that's had experience with a bigger dog. Of course. So we've got a couple of challenges for a new owner for, for, for Honey. Certainly her age is that she's two. Um, and so depending on how much experience she's had, it doesn't sound like she may have had a lot of dog-dog experience with that indicator of about dog sociability. So it doesn't mean she can't learn it. It just means you've got to be very sort of slow in reintroducing her to the world of dogs. So you'd start from a long distance away. You'd go to, say, maybe a sports field rather than a dog park. Um, and you'd just let her see the world from a distance. And you'd praise her either... Um, generally, Danes, though, are not particularly food-motivated. So our Dane in particular was was praise or toy motivated so when we were socializing her we would take her out as a puppy and we would show her the world from a distance with her showing her her favorite toy when i saw a person and we'd link those positives ah, yeah so in this circumstance it would be someone who ideally has had some experience in working with a great dane they're they're, they're really beautiful breeds and i love that girl to death but they they aren't the dog you just sort of suddenly think i'll take this on a whim they they need some um experience ideally but at least some understanding that this process will be a slower process than just having a standard puppy. Okay. If you do want more information, then as I said, head to our website because it does have all the details. Now, we have a few minutes left. It might be a good time to just talk about Easter. Um, I know we do this each year, but uh, with Dr. Paul seeing 11 Mm, cases of dogs eating chocolate, some basic things that we can do, Cheryl, because I guess a lot of us go, I've put the chocolate up, it's safe, but obviously... That's not always the case. Our dogs are a lot cleverer than us. Yeah, and they really are able to sniff out that chocolate. So wherever you're hiding them, please make sure it's up high. The other thing, when you're doing your Easter hunt, if you're putting eggs out for the children, make sure you remember where you've placed them just in case they're not all collected and when the dog goes out, the dog finds them. Another thing is not just is the chocolate so toxic, but sometimes dogs have trouble, um, they eat the entire wrapping as well. So that foil can make a problem for the dog, can't it, Paul? Yeah, look, uh, it's certainly reported to, and and you don't want to ingest any foreign material, really. 
generally because most of these dogs have got to them and chewed them, they've often licked most of the chocolate off the, <laughs> that, that lining. So often the telltale sign is the alpha is left remaining. But, yeah. <laughs> but yes, certainly we don't want that foreign material to go down if we can avoid it. And another thing we need to be aware of is um, the people who are having their Easter buns, their hot cross buns. So we've mm-hmm. got sultanas, sultanas and raisins in those. So this is another problem, and not just for dogs, for cats as well. So, Paul, what's the story with the raisins? Yeah, so... They have a fungus on the outside of those that fortunately we can eat without any issues at all. But disappointingly for our domestic pets, um, it causes renal failure. Mm. So try and avoid using any sultanas and raisins around dogs. They are And cats, they are a, a no-go. That's the one that a lot of us forget. Isn't it the raisins? Yep, you yep. know, we, uh, chocolate. I think we we know, even if we're doing the, you know, forget to do the right thing, we know about it. But raisins is one that I always go, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, grapes, yeah. Rolls, grapes, sultanas, and raisins are all a no go. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And another thing is, often people have the big roast on um, Easter Sunday, so just make sure that you're keeping that roast away from your dog yeah. as well, because that can be very rich and again cause problems. So, Paul, what's the go with these fatty foods? <laughs> yeah. So we Easter's a fantastic time veterinarians. We dread it coming every. <laughs> Year. Also, so, you definitely notice it. Oh, yeah. So the, first, the week before, we get all the chocolate poisonings. And then the, the week <laughs> oh, after, we get all the pancreatitis and gastroenteritis. Yes. Right. So it, it really is a, a time where I... <laughs> Yeah, if I had my way, I would just skip from the beginning of Easter to the end of Easter and not have it at all in that we just see so many issues. So fatty foods, um, remembering that for anything that has too much fat in one go, the pancreas has to work pretty hard to digest Mm. that. And so if your pancreas doesn't like that very much, you end up with what's called pancreatitis, which is a very painful and sadly can be a condition that may then cause long-term side effects. So um, the scraps from those fatty foods are best put in the bin, not in your dog. Yeah, and another thing is um, Easter lilies. Now, lilies are connected flower-wise with Easter, and a lot of people will have, um, you know, presents that they're taking to other families. Now, if they've got cats, please don't take the lilies along because not only are the lilies toxic, and I know we've talked about this at different times throughout the year, but um, but so is the water in the bars, the leaves, the stems, even that pollen that's on the end of that um, that stamen is is quite toxic. To that the cats. pollen is the most. Is the pollen the most? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and look, we had one case of lily this week as well. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. A, a, a ragdoll cat that came in that had licked the leaves off a, a bouquet that had come to the house. How do you have to treat that, Paul? So, aggressive fluid therapy. So, we put the cat onto IV fluids for 48 hours and we try and support those kidneys and flush out as much as we can. You wash the cat which was an experience. So we had to bathe this cat to remove any any of the possible pollen that was on the cat. Mm. Um, and you keep your fingers crossed. Yeah. So if you can catch the cats that have ingested the pollens and the, all the leaves within the first 12 hours or so, the prognosis is generally positive. Anything more than about 12 to 18 hours generally, sadly, may have a fatal outcome. Yeah, okay, so it's pretty serious. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it really is an awareness time for pet owners. You know, we just can't let our guard down. We've got to be watching everything, that they, where we put things and where the pets go. And the other thing is as well is that um, we can think oh, our dogs in the past have shown no interest in chocolate. Mm-hmm. Gizmo, for example, hasn't mm-hmm. been very driven by chocolate ever, but that can change. Absolutely. The and Easter it's a Bunny, really common scenario. Well, the Easter Bunny last year at our house did the trail, yep. um, then had a whiskey and thought, okay, it's time to, to go to bed. But in the meantime, Gizzy had actually snaffled just one of the little milk yep. chocolates and he had a bit of a lick and a chew and had left the, the remains. And I thought, 
oh, my goodness, he's never, ever been interested before mm-hmm. and at the ripe yeah. age of 15 has just discovered chocolate. Yep, yep. It's a really good co- – and we, we, we hear that all the time. Oh, okay. Been, the, so two of the cases that came in this week, we've had Easter eggs around this dog all its life and this is the first time it's done so. Is there a reason for that, Paul? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, either the, the smell's stronger or the interest shown by the owner has caused an interest from the dog to look at it. Um, I'm not sure, but it is a, not an uncommon scenario that dogs who have previously ignored chocolate – will suddenly start to want to ingest it. Because I'm sure I read an article at some point saying that as we get older as humans, um, sweeter food, we can, ta- change, we can taste it more. Yep. So that's why we might gravitate to it. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it could whether be maybe... for dogs too. It's a good point. That's really interesting, isn't mm, it? Yeah. Now, anything else we need to be aware of with Easter? So we've got the lilies, the chocolates, the raisins, and the gastroenteritis. There's a lot. Okay. Food. <laughs> there, there is another said. one. If you're doing that, the, the little hunt with the Easter eggs and you're using string to do the trail, please pick it up. We don't ah, want, yes, we don't want Yeah, we don't want them to eat that string. Oh, well, okay. All right. I think I've got my checklist. Okay. I'm going to get it right. Thank you. Now you can understand why vets would give Easter a big skip. <laughs> it sounds worse than Christmas. Oh, much worse. Much really? worse. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have thought that. Guarantee it. We, we see far more intoxications and, ga- and pancreatitis and gastroenteritis this time of year and that's than just we the pet owners. do after Christmas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Look, I think that's just about it. Have a wonderful Easter. You I too, know um, that you're heading to Melbourne for Yes, COVID, COVID hopefully will not prevent that from happening this year. And Cheryl, you're just going to have some nice time at home. You've been so busy. Yes, and enjoy my family and dogs. Oh, that sounds mm. wonderful. And happy Easter uh, to everyone listening at home as well. Look, I will be back on the radio, don't worry, before then. But uh, for now, that's it for Pet Chat. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.